Five Hurricanes will not be presented at this time in order to bring you the following special podcast. It's almost live. Still alive. It's alive! A limited podcast series about Northwest Television's legendary TV sketch comedy show. An amazing phenomenon. Featuring intimate conversations with the writers, performers, creators. Rustlers, cutthroats, murderers, bounty hunters, desperados, bushwhackers, hornswagglers, horse thieves, bulldogs, train robbers, bank robbers, ass-kickers, shit-kickers, and messages. Your host was one of them. I think I would remember a thing like that. Pat Cashman. What's the matter with you? Almost live. <laughs> it's a real nice surprise. Still alive. It's a real nice surprise. The most popular freshwater aquarium fish of them all is the guppy. It is live bearing, no eggs. It likes flake food and is generally peaceful. But the guppy is also considered one of the wittiest in the fish kingdom. I think this is true. Perhaps second funniest only to the clownfish. And frankly, between you and me, the clownfish's pie-throwing and seltzer-down-the-pants routine is getting a little old. But a Joe Guppy is quite another matter. Some might guess that a Joe Guppy is a small fish that swims around in a cup of black coffee. But the Guppy that's the subject of this podcast is something else. A storyteller, improviser, comedy writer, actor, team builder, and teacher. And one of the pioneer members of Almost Live. Joe Guppy is one of the sharpest writers and performers of comedy that I've ever known, and yet he walked away from it for an entirely different direction. We'll find out why in this episode. Joe Guppy has done a ton of things in his most unconventional career. One of the most personal episodes is detailed in a remarkable memoir published in 2015. It's called My Fluorescent God. It details the severe psychotic depression that engulfed his life years before Almost Live and how creativity, humor, writing, performance became a big part of his road back. We don't explore that much in this interview. It would be worthy of an entire podcast by itself. But that part of his remarkable story is an astonishing and inspiring read. I would encourage you to check it out. You can find it on Amazon. Again, it's My Fluorescent God by Joe Guppy. His contributions to Almost Live came during the show's infancy, and he left the show in the late 1980s. As a result, he's perhaps not as well-remembered a cast member as his wife Nancy, and yet you might not know her if not for Joe. His writings and performances on the show are among my personal favorites. He set a tone and a style that you can still see in the show's best moments, even years after he departed from it. Over the course of his life, Joe may not have as many frequent flyer miles as some of the other members of the show, but perhaps no one has traveled as far. Today, he coaches creative and academic writing, presentation and performance, improvisation and comedy. You know, someone once said that those who cannot do teach, but Joe Guppy did and does both. Here he is from his Seattle residence where he hangs out with Nancy 
and where his work and busy home life are only interrupted by nosy people like me. It's Joe Guppy, everyone. Where are you right now, Joe? Where do you, where do you uh, and uh, your lovely wife live? Uh, we are on Queen Anne Hill in Seattle in a, in a condominium. We uh, downsized about 12 years ago from a house, and uh, we're loving it. It's like 1,250 square feet with a deck, and uh, mm. it's great. Nice. Yeah. Uh, let, let's talk about you in terms of the Almost Live show, and then we'll, we'll see where it goes after that. Sure. Now, how did you get discovered? How did you get tapped to be on the show? The show came on the air in 1984. You came on, I believe, in 1985. Correct. How did, how did that happen? Well, John Keister, you know, he... Uh, the name is not familiar to me. Yeah, go, okay. go ahead. If I said the bald guy, maybe, does that, does that, does that bring it into focus with you? Oh, uh, boy. I'm thinking of Yule Brenner right now. Yeah, okay. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, anyway, there's this guy named John Keister, and he was involved in the Almost Live show. But before that, he was involved in other creative projects, including being the editor of The Rocket. And as such... A long-gone uh, long gone music uh, newspaper yep, uh, in exactly. Seattle. That is, right. is, uh, he was, yeah, he was part of it. He, was, he wrote for it as well. Right. Well, King 5 TV. Now, this must have been in, in 83, probably. Yeah, uh, that a, sounds right. I had a song, I had a, a, sh a show on called Rock Entertainment Videos. It was called Rev. In fact, it was before MTV. Leave it on. I want my MTV. You want your MTV. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. See new video music you can't see anywhere else. New contests, new specials, new guest BJs, new news. Too much. Yeah, too much. Never. 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 Too much is never enough. Some genius at uh, King TV decided that, hey, there's all this free programming that these musicians and groups are sent, putting out these rock videos. If we cannibalize a bunch of those and throw them into a TV show uh, with uh, Roger Fisher of Heart as the host. and ah. Live music, we, we we got a gold mine here, but we have to fill in with some local stuff. So we're going to have John Keister of the Rocket do a thing called the Rocket Report. Heavy metal established once and for all. It's the biggest musical force in the Seattle area. Thousands of hormone squirting little headbangers from the east side converged on every metal event of the year. It got to the point where just a few bone crushing bands could fill up even the Moore Theater with brain impaling, face melting audio death. And we're also going to bring in this comedy group called the Off the Wall Players to do comedy. You can say I'm crazy. You may think I've lost my mind, but I put everything in the store on a 50% discount and I'm inviting you to come down and make the best deal you possibly can. End tables, dinette sets, stereo phonographs, bulk elastic, it's all got to go and add insane savings to you. Yes, you can say I'm a nutcase. <laughs> and maybe I am a little emotionally disturbed, but wouldn't you be too owning a small business in these hard times? I'd lay off five of my best workers last week. I've had recurring nightmares. My own wife and kids hardly recognize me. <laughs> I've even sent threatening letters to the president. <laughs> I admit it. I need top psychiatric care. But who the hell could afford that? So come on down and help me out at the store owner's 50% off sale. <laughs> I may be crazy, but you're crazier if you pass up a deal like this. 
And then there's this one. Ever wonder what it's like to get sick and die? Well, if you're a non-smoking veteran, over 65, a member of a credit union and have never had a physical checkup, look for this picture of Ed McMahon and you may qualify for the most ridiculous health insurance plan ever offered. Set up by an insane millionaire after his death, the Sidney Q. Haskins Insurance Group of New Hampshire will guarantee you, upon receipt of your premium, 100 pounds of cheese a day for every day you are hospitalized, 150 pounds of cheese for every day in an intensive care ward, and 225 pounds of cheese to your next of kin for every day you are dead. Not available on other planets, the Haskins plan offers absurdly affordable rates. Simply mail in two individually wrapped slices of American cheese per year, three to include your spouse and dependents, and full coverage is yours. So, if you're a chess-playing college student of Dutch-Asian descent who works well with his hands, find this picture of Ed McMahon and you may qualify. Or, send for our list of other quirky eligible subgroups specified by Mr. Haskins in his will. Perhaps you're a gay undersea explorer who has visited Kansas, or a left-handed ex-mousketeer in love with a man named Frank. You may qualify. Hey, it's, it's really good cheese and there's lots of it. I mean, all you have to do is mail us Two slices of cheese, and then you get Send all your cheese to Sidney Q. Haskins Insurance Group, 2359 Old Ridge Road, Plattsburgh, New Hampshire, 32091. But uh, really, what we probably won't do that. Okay, I admit. Yeah, you were off the wall, but with some lovely wainscoting. I'm unknown, but not forgiven. Now, for the first time, this great country hit by the legendary Slim Shorty can be yours, along with 106 more of his unforgettable favorites through this special TV offer. You'll get Who Is This Man? Who is this man who walks alone? The wonderfully moving I've Been Here All Along. I've been here all along. Haven't you noticed? Plus, you'll get Slim Shorty's two giant hits that sold more copies in one year than many, many others. If Boxcars Were Burlap and Please Don't Get Peevish. Please don't get peevish. Plus, if you act now, we'll include a long-playing 45 of all of these fragments of Slim Shorty's hits strung together into one song and performed by the legendary Big Tall Fatty. Send 1995 cash, check, or money order to First Time TV Offer Country Golden Greats, Box 009, Gilcrantz, Delaware. Please don't get peevish, because you know I'll get stinky too. If you've got a beef, just let me know. Anyway at all, dear. Please don't. Peevish. Is that it? <laughs> oh. so, so that was Rock Entertainment Videos. And you were part of that group, Off the Wall Players. I, uh, I am a founding member of the Off the Wall oh. Players. We, wow. we, we were in uh, Seattle uh, wrecking havoc on the Seattle stages from 1980 to 1984. There was a, uh, uh, there's a thing, and I don't even know if it's still going, called... Uh, theater sports was oh was it, right was it tied in with that at all or was it the, a separate thing uh theater sports is still going strong oh, cool. um uh, it's been going for it's the seattle's longest running stage show as a matter of fact and yes off the wall players are all also founding members of theater sports um, mm. 
but we're not. I know. Here. I know Joel McHale was a part of theater. That's sports right. For a while exactly. Well. He was. He was a Johnny come lately to to theater sports. Uh, uh, all the members of the off wall players are, are founding members of theater sports because we uh, we started that along with the other improv improv groups that were in Seattle at the time, uh, of which Randy Dixon, current artistic uh, director of the uh, of theater sports. Uh, he was also one of the found, hmm. one of the founding members back in the day. So, 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 yeah. so, so Joe, tell tell us a little bit. I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm, yeah, sure. You're a Seattle native. You grew Absolutely. up. Absolutely. And you had, a, you, I, I've been to your parents' house. Uh, yes. Many I times. And it yep. was up on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. And yep. it's a beautiful neighborhood. Great house. Yeah. Uh, yep. And where did you go to grade school? So I grew up in, uh, on Capitol Hill, uh, around the, the St. Joseph's uh, school there on 19th and Aloha, St. Joseph's church. And that was the hub of a Catholic neighborhood. It was sort of a, uh, I guess you might, I guess you could say ethnically Catholic or culturally Catholic, I guess mm-hmm. it was all yeah. a lot of different ethnicities, but, uh, but all, all Catholic all the time. In fact, when I was a child growing up, I literally knew no one personally who was not a Catholic. Oh, that's, well, that's, that's kind of true, true for me too. In my little hometown of Bend, <laughs> yeah. Oregon, yeah. I, I went to St. Francis elementary school yeah. uh, through the eighth grade. And mm-hmm. St. Francis Elementary School closed, uh, and the building uh, was about to be raised, mm-hmm. knocked down. Probably we we're probably going to put a, a coffee place in there. Mm-hmm. And the, as these fellows called the McMiniman brothers came in, and they made it into a bar and grill. Wow! And a, and a hostelry, so people can stay there. So huh. all my the old classrooms I grew up in, and and went to, they're now. Uh, you know, you can have a beer in there. Wow. Well, that sounds like a fine Irish Catholic name, McMiniman. It's honoring the former teachers of St. Francis School, including the nuns and the priests and some lay teachers since the school opened in 1936. They are all over uh, yeah. the, north, the Northwest now, many locations. There's anyway, one right so, so near you, our house, yeah. So yeah, I, I grew you, uh, you and uh, Nancy, and I'm jumping ahead here, but you and Nancy got married in St. Joseph's Church. We, we certainly did, but see, yeah. I went way outside the box there, and I married a Protestant. That which, ain't right. That, which was, when when I was growing up, they told us to stay away from those Protestants. Yeah. You know, that was that was the one group that was really bad news. Well, how did you, know? you sell that to your parents? Did you say, don't worry, Mom and Dad, I'm going to convert her. Don't worry. <laughs> well, uh, my mom and dad were pretty liberal. They were like Kennedy, Kennedy Democrats, you know. Ask not. Oh, okay. So not. Cortez Kennedy. Cortez was in the backfield, I'm telling you, before Hugh Millen could turn around. So back to your parents. So they they were they didn't really have a problem with it as long as she agreed to get married in the church. And I think she probably when we went to uh the Catholic uh marriage counseling that we went to, I'm not with that we went to. I don't know if he insisted the kids be raised Catholic. We didn't we don't have kids actually, but she might have reluctantly agreed to something like that. I don't know. You might you might ask her about that. Well, I remember my wife and I, Patty, we wanted to get married in the Catholic Church. And uh, at least the first one we went to said, no can do, because Patty had been married once. Ah, oh. So that was that. So you had to, you were, you wrote to the Pope for an annulment. and uh, uh, We moved to another town and we did get married <laughs> in a Catholic ceremony. But it was a church that had... Uh, was going under reconstruction, and so mm. the they had moved uh, 
Sunday services over to a gymnasium that, oh, okay. that was part of the school. Nice. So we were married in a gymnasium. Mm. And I remember during the rehearsal night, the night before, uh, the priest instructing me to, I want you, Pat, to come down the center, cut right, go left, go down, and and post, post up. up. Post and up. Then, <laughs> and then Patty will come and meet you. <laughs> so... Um, so when you were in grade school and then mm -hmm. later high school, did you go yeah. to, um, where'd you go to high school? Did you go to Catholic high school too? Yeah, I did. I went to, I went to Seattle prep, uh, oh, yeah. Seattle preparatory, uh, you know, and I, I, this may sound uh, defensive or some, some kind of thing, but um, I like people to know that Capitol Hill was a very different place back then. This was the 1960s and it was mm -hmm. much more middle-class um, economically, uh, the phenomena that occurred in the '60s, you may recall, is called the, of white flight. That's where yeah. a whole bunch of white people moved over to to Bellevue. In fact, Nancy's Protestant family moved from uh, Magnolia over to Kirkland in the early 1960s. I didn't know well, that. Well, that's true, and I I I refer to it when it comes to Capitol Hill as white Protestant flight because um, those all those huge giant homes up there. The, the the white Protestants moved out, and although more middle class white Catholics moved in and and flooded that area, mm. with that's how the these kind of homes that were gigantic and maybe not in the best repair and and became less in repair when twelve Catholic kids grew up in these homes <laughs> in the uh, in the nineteen sixties. We also uh, were Roy Street was the was the red line. So that was the the red line that the banks. This is all about racism in America, by the way, right now, Pat. The uh, the, the the Roy Street was the was the, uh, the the economic red line that the banks said we won't loan money to black people uh, huh. north of Roy of Roy Street, which is in that's St. Joseph's Church borders on on Roy Street. Well, that so could I not have been a that could not have been an uttered um, thing, but it but it yeah. was Im implicit that they it, would. It was it, yeah. yeah, exactly. It was an absolute. It was an implicit thing. So I think that's probably why all these sort of middle class white families ended up in this particular area. And then if you went just south of Roy Street, then it was the Central District, and that was right. more more African American and more. Uh, well, African Americans tend to more be Protestants, but I, I don't know that how that figures into it really. But um, right, it, it I, is it is amazing though the way the uh, uh, these neighborhoods have changed, and we'll get into almost yeah. live in a minute. But yeah, we, yeah. a lot of the almost live uh, ethos, if you will, will uh, was based on yes. this kind of place, and, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, Ballard is old people, and that, right, Cap uh, Capitol Hill is a certain. Yeah. Uh, uh, at that time, with the Cap Capitol Hill wing sort of grunge oriented at at, at that time of the almost live. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so changed. So if that almost live show was still on the air, it it would be entirely different too. Right. Right. Uh, so Joe, um, were you? Uh, did you, were you kind of the class clown or how did you decide that, Hey, I like doing bits and being funny. And yeah, great, great question to ask any comedy person. So I'm kind of an introvert. And, uh, so I wasn't really the, I was not the class clown. Uh, in fact, the way I came to comedy was more through writing clowns don't write and discovering, Oh, I can write stuff, a funny column in the school newspaper and that's the first way that I uh, 
I actually wrote funny limericks in eighth grade. Do you remember any uh, of them? Uh, I do, actually. Would I do. You, could you favor us with one? Yeah, there, there's only one that I remember, and it goes like this. It says, a hippie way down in L.A. was as high as the president's pay. When he came back from his trip, he said, man, that was hip, but he was in jail the next day. Ooh, very nice. Yeah, How old were you when I, you wrote that? I was like uh, 11 or 12, um, eighth I, grade at St. Joe's. I've only written one limerick, and it's not that good. It's not as good as yours, but it was something like this. There was a young man from Puyallup <laughs> who rode his horse at a full gallop. <laughs> Things were going just fine till they rode over a landmine, and he and the horse blew all up. <laughs> When did, how old were you when you wrote that, Pat? Uh, I just wrote that yesterday, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Not that proud. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, as I look at my, uh, my limerick today, I think it's a little bit reactionary, uh, sort of celebrating that the hippie ends up in jail for, for, taking, uh, for, for getting high. Um, I, you I weren't, were you a hippie? Uh, pretty, I was later on at that, at that time in eighth grade, I, I, I was not, I, I also remember when the Beatles came out when I was like in fourth grade, uh, the kids would, uh, sing, she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was kind of a, a snob or something and didn't really get it. And, uh, and, and people made fun of me for not liking the Beatles. I, I tend to be kind of a contrarian if everybody likes something like everybody's yeah. wa watching, what is it today? Um, Game of Thrones, never yeah. seen it. You know, never seen it. Um, <laughs> it's like the the Rolling Stone magazine thing. If if a group starts getting successful, yeah, then they they right. stop writing nice yeah, things exactly. about them. Yeah. But uh, but I, I did want to want to back up and uh, just tell a quick story about those eighth grade limericks. So yeah, so I wrote these limericks. I probably turned them in as an assignment or something, and then I was called into the principal's office. Uh, to read the, the limericks for the principal. And the principal was a lot harder uh, person uh, to get along with than my eighth grade teacher who encouraged creativity and such. And so she had me read the limericks in front of her. And, uh, and then she said, oh, and she may have even chuckled a little bit. And um, it was like a command performance before the queen or something, for God's sakes. But honestly, to this day, I do not know whether she wanted to... Uh, uh, praise my verse ability or i think more like she wanted to hear this for herself and decide whether, to get, whether this guy was in trouble or not and i think was that, that was that a nun it was a nun absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. we had, we had yeah. some nuns too i would in in the sixth grade we had this sister that really encouraged kids to do creative writing mm -hmm. and i loved it and mm -hmm. i and so she would select certain kids that we'd turn in our work and then mm -hmm. she'd select certain kids I want uh, Tim. I want you to read what you wrote, and Larry, you, and mm -hmm. and Susie, and Pat over here. Pat, <laughs> I want you to read. Your, and that I took that as a point of pride, and I yeah. just loved it. And I loved making my yeah. classmates laugh. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. one day she gets up and she says, "Okay, everybody, uh, let's have you read what I assigned you last night." A create, and I realized, oh crap, I didn't write anything. I forgot uh, about this uh -huh. assignment. Uh -huh. And she said, "And Pat, we'd like you to." To lead uh, off with your thing. Oh, my and, gosh. And rather than say I didn't have anything, I grabbed a blank piece of paper. 
Oh my gosh. And I walked up to the front of the class, like we always did. And I started mm. into something. I don't remember, remember what it was mm. and I'm getting laughs and it's going oh. pretty well. And I'm thinking, man, I am really pulling this off. I'm nice. just winging it here. But then I'm not smart enough to wrap <laughs> it up. And I've, and I've gone on for several minutes on a single piece of paper. And, and so the, the nun comes kind of wheeling behind me and looks over my shoulder and says, uh, Pat, uh, you can go sit down now. <laughs> okay, sister. I didn't get in trouble for it. I think she was semi-impressed that I Yeah, yeah. Well, and that was your improvisational career was born. Absolutely. You know, I, 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 my, I have a similar story, but it's not, it's not really humorous. It's just really cool, which is in sixth grade. This is my very first memory of enjoying the craft of writing. And that was this in, is at Seattle prep or are you no, still in grade school? I'm still in grade school, St. Okay. Joseph's sixth grade. And the Wait. nun brought in a haiku this uh, Japanese, you know, the with poetry the, form, yeah. well, poetry form. I think it's five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. I could never figure it out. Yeah. So, so basically haiku poems involve three lines and each of those three lines has a certain number of syllables that it must have. Anyway, so she introduces to that. And, uh, and that was the first time I remember crafting writing like uh, with the syllables and stuff. And, and she praised my, my work. I wish I had some of those haikus that i wrote yeah so. me too but uh anyway uh, uh, i used to write books beautiful. and i had a character called mm -hmm. jim zoom mm -hmm. uh, that was sort of i kind of borrowed the name from these old old books called tom swift mm. in his early days tom swift worked on motorcycles cars and various automobiles doing little inventions to make them better usually to win a race or a prize. And along the way, he's met by villains who try to steal his ideas and thwart his efforts. But uh, Jim Zoom was just a kid that was really fast. He could run yeah. really fast. Nice. And uh, one title I remember was Jim Zoom Saves the World. And in real life, has anybody really <laughs> saved the world? I mean, you well, people have saved part of the world, but you can't. Nobody saved the entire oh, world. I was going to say Nancy and Tracy saved the world, but no, they took on the world. Remember Nancy and oh, Tracy yeah. take yeah, on I remember the world? That. That was, yeah. You know, from time to time over the years, people have come up to Tracy and myself and asked us, what's it like for you to work for that sexist, male-dominated boys club that is almost live? And did you find that you have to aggressively compete with each other for the limited opportunities for women? Well, first of all, Nancy and I are good friends. Oh, great friends. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And, and plus... We're really different types, so we usually weren't even going for the same roles. Exactly. For example, Tracy's older and fatter than me, so she was the perfect casting choice for the older, fatter roles like someone's grandma. And Nancy is the scrawny, flat-chested, androgynous transgender type. You know. And you're, it sounds like your Jim Zoom character was kind of like Speedwalker. Maybe a... Precursor yeah, to Speedwalker? Speedwalker! Yes, it's Speedwalker! The physically fit superhero who fights crime while maintaining strict adherence to the regulations of the International Speedwalking Association. Heel-toe, heel-toe, 
Speedwalker. Well, I'm gonna. I want to talk to you about Speedwalker because I know that was your idea. But uh, I'm, let's just keep going through sure. how you developed. Oh, sure. Uh, your humor. So you go through high school, and then where'd you go to college? Uh, I went to college at Seattle University, and th- and that Catholic school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My entire education, literally, even my master's degree, is all Jesuit. It's all Jesuit education. So I always thought I went to the University of Portland down the way mm-hmm. and and until somebody pointed this out to me uh, about a year ago, I thought that was a Jesuit school. Mm-hmm. Turns out it's not. Oh. It's it's Holy Cross, oh. uh, the fathers of Holy Cross. Mm-hmm. And we were a, a a weakling sister school mm-hmm. to Notre Dame. Oh, OK. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I'm uh, I have a direct line to the Pope is, I guess, what I'm saying, because the Pope, oh, you do. The, well, the Pope's a, not really the Pope's a judge. Put in, put in a good word for me. Would you? <laughs> yeah. And I'm telling him I'm sorry yeah. about some of this. Yeah, stuff. if you'd go, you'd have the same direct line if you'd gone to a Jesuit college. But hey, but anyway, to, hey, let me ask you yeah. this before I, we mm-hmm. go on. So when you went to confession, as mm-hmm. a kid, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Bless me, Father, um, for I have sinned. Yes. Yeah. Were you like me? I just, I said, I, I mean, I can't think of anything. Yeah. So I would do my standard stuff. Get in line in that processional, step into that small confessional. They're the guy who's got religion. I'll tell you if your sin's original. If it is, try playing it safer. Drink the wine and chew the wafer. Two, four, six, eight. Time to transubstantiate. So get down upon your knees. Fiddle with your rosaries. Bow your head with great i disobeyed my parents yeah, yeah. four times yeah. i used i would always say bad language yeah, yeah. i didn't say swear i used bad language uh, you know two times yeah. i hit my brother right. you know three times and that was pretty much it mm-hmm. that was the standard yeah, confession yeah, i would get yeah did yeah. you did yeah you pretty pretty hand like that too pretty much exactly like that and i'm, I'm imagining each of us could have said i touched myself in an impure manner but i never i never did say that because yeah i never and i never did that so i wasn't smart enough to think of that (laughs) see you can't please everyone so you got to please yourself but uh, yeah that much later oh did you oh okay yeah i was an early bloomer i guess anyway Uh, about 39 Uh, anyway, yes, absolutely. The standard confession. <laughs> okay, so you were saying. I'm uh, sorry, oh, I was sorry. just saying that there a turning point in my comedy career was in uh, college, uh, probably. Well, first of all, I, I did write for the school newspaper incessantly, and I had a kind of a humor column, and, and that, that was a, a big deal for me. But then in terms of performance, I hosted this talent show uh, uh, when I was like a senior, and that was performing uh, on stage doing comedy maybe probably for the first time actually and uh and that went over so well with another guy we co-hosted and we killed it and getting those laughs on stage by making up comedy stuff comedy bits in between other people's talent uh i think that was a revelation for me and then we also have to say two words monty python and, oh, and uh, seeing those guys come on PBS in the 70s and watching it with my family. Is this the right one for an argument? I've told you once. <laughs> no, you haven't. Yes, I have. When? Just now. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Didn't. I did. <laughs> didn't. I'm telling you I did. You did not. Oh, I'm sorry, is this a five-minute argument or the full half hour? <laughs> oh, oh, just the five-minute one. Fine. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, I did. You most certainly did not. Now, let's get one thing quite clear. <laughs> I most definitely told you. You did not. Yes, I did. You did not. Yes, I did. Didn't. Yes, I did. Didn't. Yes, I did. No, this is an argument. 
Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's just contradiction. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It is not. It is. <laughs> You've just contradicted me. No, I didn't. Oh, you did. No, 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 no. You did just no, then. No, no, nonsense. Oh, look, this is futile. No, it isn't. I came here for a good argument. No, you didn't. You came here for an argument. Well, an argument's not the same as contradiction. Can be. No, it can't. An argument's a connected series of statements to establish a definite proposition. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It isn't just contradiction. Look, if I argue with you, I must take up a contrary position. But it isn't just saying, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. <laughs> I can see that influence in you oh. because mm -hmm. you you have this wonderfully absurdist mm. point of view. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of the stuff you did for Almost Live. Yeah. That I thought, man, this is really good. It's really different. And you added so much to that show, which... Uh, Ross Schaefer uh, would would uh, admit it kind of got off to a rocky start. Mm -hmm. They didn't quite find their footing for a while. Yeah, yeah. So you got to the show via John Keister, who was already on the show. At right, that he was already on the show. He knew my work from the, that Rock Entertainment Videos Rev show, and then he just uh, we had lunch uh, up at the uh, the hamburger place up on Broadway and Roy, the, the Deluxe, the Deluxe Tavern. We had oh, lunch yeah, there, the and he pitched me on. Uh, almost live. And since we're being candid here, uh, um, I'm going to admit that I was a little reluctant. I was kind of like, and this is, by the way, I, I'm, this is all on me. Okay. I was like, I'm a theater performer. I do theater. <laughs> uh, I have the, I do the craft. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Or to take arms against a sea of trouble. Sorry, the five minutes is up. <laughs> that was never five minutes just now. I'm afraid it was. No, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, what is this television you speak of? This boob, <laughs> yeah, this boob, this boob tube. tube. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of my uh, my uh, first uh, re reaction, uh, which is in the retrospect, just utterly ridiculous. Because of course, almost life was doing super high quality uh, comedy. Uh, but then he started waving all that yeah, big all money that in money front of in front of me. Yeah. yeah. But uh so Do you remember what they offered you uh, when you yes, first came? Yes, it was on? like $135 a week. And, oh my god. Me and Scott Schaefer came on at the same time. Yeah. And uh but but uh I submitted a few scripts and and then and then but once I got a little taste of it and then and then I had to get through Ross. It was like I had to get you know get approval from Ross and um yeah. you know our styles are not exactly the same. Uh so not exactly. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Now did you come on just as a writer? Uh, no, and, no, writer then you, writer performer. The well, you were you were expected to perform. Oh, absolutely. The very first thing I ever did, which I didn't write, was Alien Gumbies. Uh with I was gonna with, ask you about yeah, that. Yeah, so so that the movie Alien had was hot yeah, and it just come out. Right, yeah. And Alien Gumbies yeah. is just uh, such a weird, yeah. around the bend, yeah, high concept, uh, really thing. Yeah. And and it, I, I think that bit for that was the first bit I can remember that was really mm. that really pushed it out there yeah. in terms cinematically yeah, yeah, you know yeah. that really has special effects in it yeah and yeah and i think john big acting yeah not, and not uh not to blow my own horn too much here but i think john did want my performance chops you know with uh with the comedic acting or the over the top you know i don't know if you remember yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. we still we still quote that line john 
he finds me in, inside all the goop, you know, like an alien where they, they, the button, they, they, yeah. Is, yeah. And, yeah. Like, John, John, oh, Joe, are you okay? Can you scratch my nose? We still, <laughs> we still say that one. Joe, Joe, what's that? What is that? No. Joe, what is this stuff? John, can you scratch my nose? No, no, what is this stuff? We've got to get you out of here. No. We've got to get you out of this stuff. Alien zombies in space. No one can hear you say. Pokey, hey Pokey, Pokey, come on, hey Pokey, Pokey, let's go for a ride. Hey, hey Pokey, Pokey. And instead of <laughs> and you and you had this actual little toy gumby yeah, yeah. jumping out of these egg yeah, plants. Right. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that, but that one stood out. Yeah, well, that's cool uh, to hear. Early in, yeah. early in the lifetime of that show, because I think, oh my God, these guys, this is a real yeah. high class, yeah. first class, uh, comedic taped piece and this is where the show could go well that's uh, that's such an honor that i got to be part of it i mean that the whole everything was john uh the idea and all that but i remember just being on the set and the production and the lighting and, and mikey was there mike boydston and mike boydston and just going like this is where i want to live i want to because i at one point i go i put my face down close to the eggplants you know before the one the yes. thing comes out of the <laughs> right. yeah and so just figuring that all out now you know how, where the hit your mark and you know all that all that uh, and then the eggplant has to it. spring open yeah, how, how yeah. did how did that happen uh, it was, was it, it was cut was it on a it was fishing line or something I, oh. you know I, I i don't actually remember but uh but yeah I, I, it looked great yeah I it looked great that. and then the thing that gumby was on my face you know just like in uh, an alien but just that whole thing of of oh man and it, you know going back to monty python like oh the, the, the shooting this comedy and, and conceptualizing the, the shot and the edit i just fell in love with that and i realized well this the, you don't do that on in the theater you don't do that on the stage this is what i want to do hmm. yeah. so you turned on a dime and said, yeah i said fuck the theater who cares about those yeah oh, screw those shit guys. Yeah. i can't say that fuck shit oh geez i just did it again the, I think one of the first bits that, uh, and I'll say fuck too. So okay, thank you. You don't you feel you have to cover the carry the burden. Uh, one of the first bits you and I did together. Oh my god! That I yeah. still is one of my all time favorites. Was called Plumber. Oh, Do you remember that one? God, I love Plumber. Love Plumber. Yeah, ma'am. My name's Plumber, J.T. Plumber. Thank God you're here. It's my assistant, Billy Piper. Yeah. When you called us on the phone, you mentioned a sink that was stopped up. Where exactly is that sink, ma'am? This looks pretty bad, plumber. <laughs> plumber continues in a moment. Cheese, it's good for you. Eat some today. Now, back to plumber. You better stay in the back room. I better stay in the back room too, plumber. Wait, 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 wait. Look at you. I know what you're feeling. No, you don't. Yes, I do, Billy. Look, you can stay out here and you can whine and you can cry and you can blubber like a baby. Okay. 
You can get in there and help me unclog that sink. What's it gonna be, Billy? What, can't I just stay out here for this one job? Yeah, yeah, you can stay out here for this job. And then what's it gonna be next time, Billy Piper? Some leaky faucet? Or, or a broken washer? Or maybe some crumbling caulking around the top? Yeah, I'm actually kind of tearing up of my, my joyful memories of... There was a show with, with you, yeah, yeah. There was a show that starred William Shatner at the time mm. called T.J. Hooker. Yep, yep. So that was sort of the predicate for plumber. Yeah, yeah. And, and the guy is... And I was the plumber, and you were my yeah, assistant, Billy Piper. Uh, Billy Billy Piper. Yeah. And, and so the idea was that uh, the plumber, uh, kind of, he thinks of himself as an action hero, even though he's just a plumber. And I remember the beginning of the piece. Mm -hmm. I'm running down yeah, the street, yeah, and I, yeah. I dive over a hedge. Yeah. And oh it's yeah. Just, just entirely oh, silly. So terrific, and and I, I'm quite certain I watched you edit that, and. Um, because I remember the slow motion and the turn and stuff, it's the, like the part you just mentioned. And, uh, you know, Pat, if I may just uh, wax uh, uh, maudlin here for a moment, uh, thank you. I consider you my comedy mentor uh, for, for what you taught me on Almost Live, particularly about, well, about editing comedy, the whole nine yards. Um, hmm. and, uh, and a lot of us wow. feel that way, actually. That, that, it's pretty kind. Yeah, well... You, you. Well, I'm just a doofus, so yeah. I don't know what you got out of that. But <laughs> but getting back to Plumber for a minute, because yeah, yeah. both you and Nancy were in that piece. Yes, yes. But uh, and and so Nancy's, we we you and I show up because she's called us because yeah. they've got she's got a kitchen sink yeah. that is stopped up. That's right. And and this guy and so. Uh, Mike Boydston yeah. again. We'll oh, talk about him, the yes. photographer. Yeah. He invented this great shot where yeah. you and I approach mm -hmm. the sink oh, yeah. like, as if we have guns in our hands, yeah, but we yeah, have wrenches. Yeah, that's right. Oh my gosh. That was suspenseful so music and everything. Oh, a, and we looked and then he yeah. gets a, then he gets a, a point of view shot looking up yeah. as our faces come down over yeah. the, the, the sink. But I think you, that's, that's right. But you're, you got to back up and, and don't skip over that that shot where we come out up with the wrenches and and then you give your tremendous speech that Nancy has memorized by the way about what's it gonna be Billy Piper what's it gonna be here it is right here because you you are uh you just can't handle it you, yeah, you want right. to be a plumber yeah. like your dad was <laughs> right. but you don't have the guts That's that your right. father had yeah, yeah. and so i give you this big yeah over the top scolding, right? Yeah, to try and, and yeah. make, make, turn you into a yeah. man. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. so here it is again. Yeah, you can stay out here for this job. And then what's it going to be next time, Billy Piper? Some leaky faucet, or, or a broken washer, or maybe some crumbling caulking around the top? What's it going to be, Billy? <laughs> you want to help me? You know where I'm at. So that was it, and that was just so over the top and goofy. And then you seem to have an epiphany. You got an extra plunger? And I remember you coaching me on that scene because yeah. we improvised that, but you know, several times, and that was the the, the killer take. We all knew that. Do was you the remember this, take. Joe? We um, uh, we, but, were, we we shot a scene that we didn't use, and uh, and I think today we would, but we were so we were still riding that fine line between being little edgy and and yeah yeah not, yeah not too yeah 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 i know where you're i know exactly where you're going i would and if somebody has this clip it's worth i don't a million know if dollars, i even have it but, uh, as we're getting ready to leave 
and I've got my kind of shirt yeah. open, you know, and I'm trying to look, look like I'm really yeah. a hot yeah. stuff. And Nancy is this yeah. very grateful uh, woman that, that mm-hmm. says, uh, Say, plumber, you don't have to go so soon, do you? Well, I uh, guess I could stick around for a bit, ma'am. Plumber, we got to get over to the Anderson house. They're having that toilet problem again. You remember how bad it was last time? He's right, ma'am. You would not have believed this toilet. It started bubbling and it was churning up these big clumps of something or other. We... No, no, you don't have to explain it. Please. And as we're wrapping the shoot, she does an alternate line where she says, Hey, plumber, I couldn't help noticing your cock. Let's go, Billy. And I go, oh no, actually, ma'am, that's I remember a, that. An, an adhesive that we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you pull up. You pull the up. The, yeah. And we just thought, yeah. we, I know we debated, yeah. can, we can use this, can't we? And we decided, now nah, we better not. Right, that yeah, shoot yeah. Uh, among yeah, yeah. all that we did in so many years uh, stands out to me as just being fun. Yeah. And we shot it at Absolutely. Steve Wilson's house. Yeah. Director. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so now yeah. you're on the yeah. show. You came on in 1985, <laughs> and uh, yep. uh, another yep. bit that I wanted to, to mention to you that you might remember, uh, because I won a, my first Emmy ever, Northwest Emmy, for editing mm. a mm. piece called mm. "The Touch." Do you remember mm. that one? A Bobby boy, loser buys. Loser buys. Two guys playing one-on-one basketball, trying to prove who can make the very first shot. Yes. Oh, I love that. That was so cool. You, you won an Emmy for editing that. That is so. Yeah, we shot awesome. it at I the. Uh, know that. I mean, I'm sure I knew it at we, the time. We, we shot it. it at the Seattle <laughs> Athletic uh, Club. They, had a, they have a big gymnasium there and mm-hmm. basketball yep. hoops. And at the time, there was a Mm -hmm. popular beer commercial going on, uh, you know, where two guys are competing at something. And they they go, would two guys go at it this hard for a beer? And we're both going really hard. And neither neither of us can make a shot. We can't. (laughs) The ball is always falling off (laughs) the rim. And and, uh, one of the outtakes, which I have, (laughs) is me falling onto the basketball at one point and I smacked my nose onto the floor. And so I'm bleeding like a stuck pig. And uh, we had to stop the production for a minute one <laughs> while I bled out. But uh, the way the bed ends then is that finally, miraculously, uh, thanks to gravity, yeah. I guess, one ball and we got a great yeah. shot where the yeah. ball's circling the rim. It's yeah. around it's forever rolling and around and rolling around and cutting back to east and we're looking and, we're looking, and, and looking and, and, and it, yeah and yeah. it drops through <laughs> yeah and so, and so yeah. then the scene then the oh. the bit is <laughs> yeah the, <laughs> when we go to the beer the beer thing. finally having a beer together and going and, well when you've got the touch and we both yeah. try to drink our beer but we miss our mouth <laughs> it, 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 it slops on the <laughs> yeah that was so much fun. Yeah, so, so that was such a fun shoot. And I remember you, we brought in, I don't know where you got the, like some rolling scaffolding or something. So we could, we could go flying above <laughs> I the forgot rim. about that part. Yeah. Past, 
as if, as if yeah, two white guys yeah, could yeah, be yeah. their head could be yeah. way above the <laughs> yeah. rim. It was I love that piece. It was so stupid. Yeah. And it, and what was cool is that both of us actually had played a pretty yeah, good we, amount we, of We loved the sport, the so it was so, it was a natural fit. Uh, yeah. So yeah. you um yeah. so you're so you're now you're on the show. So uh and you and Nancy and I may have the the timing of this wrong, but you were dating uh, when you started on Almost Live, or yeah, we we uh, started dating like shortly, just shortly before I uh, I got on Almost Live, and then then I started to uh, use her in bits that I was doing. In fact, one of the it might have been the first bit I produced myself or wrote myself. I, I'm trying to remember, but new, you remember Nuisance? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, it was a it was kind of a horror movie, like a slasher film, except the guy in the dirty raincoat. Uh, Working about uh, the the monster guy who was me um, uh, w- was just a nuisance, and he did things like he would cut uh, a piece of a jigsaw puzzle, just one little chunk. <laughs> that was Jim Sharp's idea, by the way. That was Jim Sharp's idea. And uh, Nancy played the the um, Janet Lee, the, the screaming female. I remember part. that. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a. It, 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 we had this great shot where she comes down in my parents' house, by the way, which, as you mentioned, it was referred to as Studio Nine Fifty Five yeah. because almost live shot a so lot. much in yeah, my parents' it was such house. Such a versatile house you had. <laughs> yeah, and, and my parents were super cool about it. They loved it. Um, but anyway, she's walking down a big staircase and she steps on a whoopee cushion, and that's the. <laughs> ah, you know, I love that piece. There, there was yeah, another yeah. piece uh, that you wrote and and i was in it and and i have to tell you i never quite got what it was about and i don't even know if it <laughs> aired but we shot it in a garage behind your parents house there's a single car garage back there do you remember this at all yeah uh you gotta keep talking because i don't uh, remember well, I yet. Don't even uh, it just uh, it, it was you had this idea I, I think the car was haunted i think that was the premise of it uh, but I, and again, I was, and we shot it at night and we almost never shot anything at night. We wanted to go home. Huh? Wow. You don't remember it? That's so funny because I remember bits I did when we were in LA, uh, we, we did this entire bit for that show, not necessarily the news. And I remember years ago or years later, I saw the video of it and I had completely forgotten that I had ever done it at all. Huh. But there I was doing this bit. So, so that's not. It's not surprising that it wasn't the one. The oh, was it like the haunted garage? Yes, that was it. Yeah, I think it yeah. was a. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I do. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be a parody of like uh, you know mysterious places or mysterious. Didn't Robert Stack have a show, Unsolved yeah, Mysteries, yeah, yeah. or something like yeah. that? Yeah, but you're you're tell, basically telling me the piece sucked. It didn't well, work. No, okay. I just yeah, it's sure. just I, that I, I and and you've probably been in this situation too, where somebody's <laughs> got a, an idea and they're really enthusiastic yeah. about it. And you're just not grasping what it is. So you don't know quite how to play it because you don't know what they're looking for and you don't quite get it. Uh, There was another one you did. Uh, Do you remember this? Uh, All I can remember is that you had um, a Mrs. Butterworth syrup. Oh yeah. Yeah. That one, that one's legendary. That one's legendary, legendarily bad. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but Joe, maybe you were just ahead of your time because all these years later, Mrs. Butterworth is out. Announcing it will be renamed and rebranded at least three more major food brands following Aunt Jemima's lead. Mrs. Butterworth's Cream of Wheat and Uncle Ben's Rice. ConAgra Brands announced Wednesday it has begun a complete brand and packaging review on Mrs. Butterworth's. 
though there have been debates over Mrs. Butterworth's race. And now a message from Mrs. Butterworth. In the wake of the retirement of Aunt Jemima, there has been furious speculation over whether I, Mrs. Butterworth, am white or black. Hmm, I haven't really given it much thought. I've been too focused on feeding children shots of pure high-fructose corn syrup. Point is, am I white or black? I guess there's no way we'll ever know. Come out with your hands up! I guess now we know. Yeah, the the, the uh, I'm I'm involved with this sketch fest, which is a a thing that uh, happens down at the Market Theater. Uh, now that we're in COVID nineteen times, they're going to video, so they're going to do a video thing. And they said, "Are there any uh, pieces that your work that you're ashamed of, <laughs> like in the in the vault?" And I immediately, yeah, I've got one. Okay. And that was Mrs. Mrs. Butterwich. Well, what can you remember? What uh, the premise was? Uh, yeah, it was like a Twilight Zone thing, you know, where there's like a haunted doll or something. It's really not, not a bad premise. I don't think it sounds it's bad. It's funny. It. It sounds funny. It's, it's like, yeah, it's like if, if you had like the haunted ventriloquist dummy yeah, yeah. or the haunted... Boy, they did that thing all the time on Twilight Zone. Every dummy do his own case. You're watching a ventriloquist named Jerry Etherson, a voice thrower par excellence. His alter ego sitting atop his lap is a brash stick of kindling with the sobriquet Willie. In a moment, Mr. Etherson and his naughty pine partner will be booked into one of the out-of-the-way bistros, that small, dark, intimate place known as the Twilight Zone. Yeah, all well, the time. So it, this was the haunted Butterwitch, Mrs. Butterworth. Uh, syrup, if people, if people are not familiar with it, it's a bottle that is shaped in, yeah. it looks like a yeah. statue of, of a woman. Yeah. So yeah, the, exactly. the idea was that this yeah. thing comes Mrs. to Butterworth, life. Yeah. yeah. Mrs. Butterwitch. Yeah. So the idea was okay, but I don't think the execution really pulled off. And also I, we, uh, we burned Mrs. Butterwitch in Jim Sharp's uh, fireplace at his, uh, his condo. And I, we ended up uh, uh, like, like uh, staining his uh, fireplace grate uh, when, and, and he never forgave me for that. For, uh, yeah, so he he holds a grudge, point. that guy. That yeah. Guy. Yeah, so Nan, Nan, well, let's so Nancy of, was working in the Nordstrom Credit Department, I think, and, right, and right. at the That's time. Right. Uh, yeah. And then, so how did you did you just uh, insinuate yourself and said, "Hey, my girlfriend's pretty got some pretty good props. We right. need some more women on the show. Let's bring her in." Right? So how it went? That's 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 how it went for uh, for casting her for the first couple of years that I was on the show, and then she became a staff member. A staff writer herself by demonstrating her own tremendous writing ability, which you, uh, uh, sh- shines to this you two day. Are the uh, far and away, of course, the only people that were married that were on the show. <laughs> and and then, yeah. as many of the other people have done on the show, Bill Nye, Bob Nelson, uh, and others, um, Joel McHale, you felt the lure of Hollywood and. Right. So, yeah, uh, you went to do. You mentioned it a moment ago. A show called "Not Necessarily the News," which was yeah, a wonderful right. show. Not necessarily the news with Annabelle Gerwich and Tom Parks. Special reports from Meryl Marco, Richard Rosen, and Joe Guppy. How, how did that come about? How did you hear about it and? Well, you may recall that Ross Schaefer heard the call of Hollywood and went oh, yeah. down uh, to uh, take over for Joan what's Rivers. Her name? Yeah. Um, Joan Rivers, thank you. Hollywood, it's the late show, starring Ross Schaefer. 
want to now, as you folks at, at home can probably tell, we got our applause light fixed. And at that time, no relation, producer Scott Schaefer, who's a good friend of mine, uh, also went down. And so he got my tapes to um, to not necessarily the news. And you remember I did a lot of the man on the yep. street yep. things, like the 70s clothes. Oh, yeah. You walked around downtown Seattle in Saturday night fever clothes, trying to impress women on the street. The fashion of the 70s. Now almost completely eradicated from our culture, this clothing and these accessories stand in mute testimony to the fact that men once dressed like this. But one question lingers. Why? Let's check it out. Hey, Saka to me, huh? Listen, what, what are you doing? I, I really am digging those pants. Really? Green, Aren't yeah. Cool? Uh -huh. yeah Green and red are new colors. Yeah? For this yeah. year, yeah. Listen, babe, what are you Nice <laughs> shoes. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I like them too. You know, you can really, yeah, you can really get some good spins with these. You know, dancing shoes. Yeah. Nice medallion too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Or the bead store. You know. Those, oh, the bead store. One of my favorites. Let, let's talk about oh, yeah, that for a bead. second before we get back. Okay. Because I don't know okay. how you thought of this, but there was a store in uh, the mm -hmm. Pike Place Market called the yeah. Bead. Yeah. Was it called the bead store? Yeah, it was called, it's called the bead, the bead store. store. Okay. But I mean, it was just a found, it was a found humor thing because the sign itself says the bead store. And then they said it's the beads for jewelry, not bread for baking. That was literally written onto the sign because people kept coming in there and saying, where's the bread? Just look at that sign up there and tell me, what does it say? The bread store. Okay. Store. Wait, wait a minute. What is it? The bead store. Okay. The bean store. The the bean store? Yes. Okay. The bean store, all right. Okay. The bread store. Okay. Do you want to take take one more look at it, okay? Yeah. It's the bread store. Is it the bread store? Yeah. How did you find out about that? That was a it's thing. like it was like a uh, just, uh it's almost like a sort of common man dyslexia that most people have. Yeah, yes. Because right. You saw exactly. the two words together. That's, uh yeah, it was it was the and though we even had our friend Charles Cross who was also involved with the rocket. He came in as an expert to explain why people would misinterpret the <laughs> this the sign. I mean, that's just genius. Yes, the bead store here in Seattle's Pike Place Market seems to be in the midst of a continuous identity crisis. Tell me, what does it say? It says beads for jewelry, not bread for eating. Okay. The bread store. Okay. <laughs> Do you have a uniform? Beads for jewelry, not bread for eating. The bread store. Okay, so you've read the small signs, and, and then you read the big sign, and you think it says that what's it's, the red letters? Uh, the bread store. Okay, now actually it says the bead store. Oh, the bead store. Yeah. Yeah. See that? Yeah. How come I said that? How come she said that? Charles Cross is an expert graphic designer who took a few psychology courses in college. Yeah, I think it's sort of the Jungian uh, concept that, you know, in each of our dreams, you know, we think of bread. And uh, when we think of it, this is the image we that comes to mind. You sort of see the round dropping serifs there. They're sort of reminiscent of the, uh, you know, the hull of the, the wheat that you would make most bread from. But interviewing the people, the, of course, it's all about the people, you know, uh, interviewing the people and, and, and having them read the sign. And, and it, was, it was easy in a way because so many people would read the bread store. And then I'd say, take a look again. What, and they, they, 
Oh, man, it was a great piece. Is there a solution to the bead store sign controversy? I don't know, maybe hang beads on the sign. Hang beads on the sign, okay. Read me the big letters, what's it say? The bead store. The bead store, okay. Okay. You want to take a look? Check it one more time, just make sure. The bead store. Okay, that's that's correct. And you, there was no problem whatsoever. Uh-uh. No problem whatsoever. And you got yeah, exactly really what fine. you you wanted when you yeah. went out there. Yeah. It just I, there's yeah. one woman in particular I remember. She's yeah. her face yeah. just looking and yeah. and you give her yeah, you she, give her multiple chances to, to figure yeah. it out and yep. she can't get it. Yeah. She and she's smoking yes, and then she yes. goes and then she gives this line like, "Why did I say that?" Yeah. And that, oh God, that, I love that, that piece. Great. I'm glad you yeah, brought it up. Yeah. So you go yeah. to not necessarily the news. And, and yeah, so I was going to give Scott Schaefer props for getting my tapes like that kind of on the street kind of news guy in front of the producers at HBO of, of not necessarily the news. And, and that's how I got the job down there. So landed in LA with a Writers Guild job. Uh, as a writer performer, which is huge. Yeah, you know, yeah. a lot of people go, go down there like, you know, like Joel McHale, he went down there to try to seek his fame and fortune. You know, he didn't have a writer's guild job. He just showed up there and you see what happened yeah. to him. Just uh, utter like, flop. Yeah. Uh, other flop. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah. So we worked on a Are you still a of, member of the guild? Uh, um, you know, I still have some sort of pension. Yeah, don't thing let that go. Like five, like, like five cents. I think I get five cents or something. Uh, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, we're, we're honorary withdrawal from the Writers Guild. No, not not active. But um, but yeah, we just had a series of of so jobs. Now, now you say like we the, did, did Nancy come down with yeah, you? Nancy came with because and we were writing partners. Uh, and now with a report on ailing former Philippine dictator Ferdinand Marcos. Here's Joe Guppy live in Honolulu. Thank you, Annabelle. I'm standing here outside the corridor leading to what will probably be Ferdinand Marcos' deathbed. If Marcos should slip away soon, and doctors tell me that he could go any time now, we'll be standing by here live exclusively on NNTN. Thank you, Joe. We worked as writing partners on a bunch of different shows, including this really cool show called My Talk Show, which was uh, executive produced by a, a former Saturday Night Live guy. And boy, that guy... His name was Bob Tischler, wonderful, mm. wonderful mentor. Direct from 168 Capital Lane, it's my talk show starring Anne Marie Snelly. And I think I can hear you as the off camera guy named Ross. Ross, I really don't like that theme music you picked. Okay, sweetie. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Oh, shit. All right. Hi, I'm Anne Marie Snelling, and welcome to my talk show. Oh, just, just a sec. Now that's a theme song, Ross. Uh, Ross, could you put the title card up? I just want to discuss it. Oh, that's great, Ross. But uh, I want the my to be bigger. Little bigger. Little bigger, sweetie. Not, not too big, Ross. I don't want to look conceited. Okay, now it's not quite me. It needs something. Uh, so what do you want, flowers? Flowers, yes. Oh, that's great, Ross. That looks just super. Okay. All right, enough, uh, enough title card, Ross. More Anne-Marie. Mom! Mom! Uh, kids, could you calm down, please? Mommy has been more than patient. Anne-Marie, it's only a half-hour show. Uh, Ross, could I deal with this, please? 
Have you no sensitivity, sweetie? They're just children. Don't make me use a weapon! And uh, we learned so much from him about how to write. That's what Nancy and I say. That's where we really learned to write because of those the hours. My God, you're working 14, 15 hours a day. They, they feed you. It's really cheap because they, all your, they, they bring in all your meals. So you, so, and you're also making union money. Uh, but you work so much and you write so much. You just write and write and write and write. And then things go into the, the writer's room, the writer's table where everything's pulled apart and punched up and added to. And, and uh, that's where I studied narrative and really learned about narrative. And it was a good story. You know, I, I had a couple opportunities to do something like that and I just never could see myself doing it. And I, I, uh, it, 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 what you're describing is in such contrast to, uh, falling off a log like it was at almost live. There wasn't that yeah. kind of pressure. Uh, yeah. There wasn't yeah. that kind of deadline stuff. Yeah. And, uh, it was mm-hmm. much more casual. And I, I liked that. Uh, I'm not sure I could have endured, uh, you know, cr- uh, a huge amount of criticism and, and, mm-hmm. and the pressure that came with it. Yeah, you you get notes from the suits. Yeah. That's one of the things yeah. that uh, nobody wants. Yeah, yeah, I know. And and obviously, we were down there like three and a half, four years, and it was a tremendously wonderful experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But uh, but I know what you mean. I mean, when the bottom line, almost live was was more fun, and we were more doing what what you know. This is my idea. I'm gonna yeah. cast it. I'm gonna produce it. I'm gonna super, You know, I'm gonna. You did the actual hands on editing. I would. Uh, supervise the editor, observe the edit. I mean, I loved working with with Mikey uh, on the on the edits and with. Um, I say supervise the edit. That's not no, not that. It's more like a, because that would imply that I'm in charge. I'm not at all. <laughs> but um, working in 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 some sort of uh, secondary partnership with with a guy like Mike Boydston or Daryl. Yeah, you're never in charge with ed- those guys. Yeah, 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 best a partner. Yeah. 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 No. Uh, but I, I, and then I learned so much watching those, those guys edit and uh, learned so much about timing and comedy, uh, collaborating with, with them. Uh, and then today full circle, uh, you know, Nancy and I are doing this show art zone, her art zone show. We're doing it out of our house because of the virus and I've learned how to edit and we're doing comedy bits again oh, here great. out of our house. And it's, uh, and I wouldn't be able to, I, I picked up iMovie in like three days uh, but I, and I, wow, how am I able to do this? It's from watching you and, and those guys for so many years, uh, edit that I was able to, I, I picked it up by osmosis, cool. uh, by watching, watching just so people know if you're living in Seattle, uh, art zone is on the Seattle channel. Hi there. And welcome to the show. I'm Nancy Guppy. As you jumped forward from your time in LA yeah. to where you are now, uh, there was a, um, and I hope you are comfortable with me asking you about this, but you and Nancy, and maybe it was all of those, um, the pressures and the constraints of of, uh, the work you were doing down there. Uh, your marriage uh, went through a crisis. Yeah, we, uh, we had a rough time of it there, but we had a, it was a very amiable rough time. Um, we decided that we just wanted to live apart for a while. Um, we, we did it when I was in LA and she was in Seattle, but then we formally did it when I returned to Seattle and, uh, did what? And, uh, separate, separate I just separated. lived in separate. Okay. Yeah. And, and of course we see everything yeah, separated. We did a marital separation. I was living in my parents' house and she was living in her apartment. You weren't we living out in that garage, were you? Okay. No, okay. no, I was 
Looking back, haunted. But yeah, it was it was kind of it was kind of tough uh, tough times. Uh, in, but in a way, we um, we were going to see a counselor, and I think um, I, I know her her parents or her especially her dad just figured well almost like we'll get it over with and get the divorce, you know, because nobody does a separation and does, I don't mean he was advocating for us to get divorced. I, I don't mean that at all. But what for I a lot of people, separation that, means yeah, divorce. Yeah, exactly. And I think he, he made that assumption as a lot of other people did, but it, it kind of strengthened our relationship because I think we thought to ourselves, we're not going to listen to what other people say this is supposed to be. We've, you know, we've decided this is right for us right now and we're going to counseling and, um, and obviously we, so we were uh, uh, separated for about eight months and then we decided it was time to get back together again. And we've been back together ever since. In fact, this month, 33 years uh, of what we like to call uh, the daily grind of wedded that's bliss. That's great. I, I mean, what a happy ending. And, I'm, and and you guys are working together now again. And yeah. so yeah. Um, and as we get ready to wrap up here, Joe, uh, you uh, took, you went from being a comedy writer to a, it it if you could think of a polar opposite career move yeah let's see let's think of a comedic opposite like if somebody was a comedy writer what would they totally not become um a psychotherapist you maybe? became would a psychotherapist a good... <laughs> yeah yep. what made you think yes, about yes, I did. it was it partly to do with the rough patch of your marriage that made you want to be a psychotherapist or what was it um, you know, I don't mind uh, saying that I've been in 12 step recovery for like 30 years. And, um, and so, uh, that was a big part of it is like, I was, uh, in that, in that program and, uh, and I, and I also was, was coaching writing and helping people with their writing. So I was doing a lot of both what, you know, in, we work people in 12 step programs kind of work with each other, like the sponsorship sponsee mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. thing. And then, and I was also doing uh, coaching people individually on their writing. And a lot of times their writing would be really personal. And then some, somehow it seemed like, well, you know, I'm practically, I'm kind of practicing therapy without a license. Not, not that I was doing anything dangerous or anything, but I just thought, you know, I really like this. I'm going to, I'm going to look into it. And, and so I went to uh, uh, a great program at Seattle University, the Existential Phenomenological Psychotherapeutic uh, Program. Oh my God, I can't even and, understand anything that you just said. Yeah, it's about existential phenomenology. Um, Google it. Uh, anyway, uh, and so it was a very hum humanistic and philosophical, literary oriented approach to therapy. So it worked for me. And then I got a lot of feedback too that my humor uh, and the kind of humor I would bring. Uh, to the the therapy room, not not laughing yeah. at people or anything, but like kind of using levity and and that that was a, a a big part of it. And I never really got away entirely from improv yeah. or or creative work. I, I wrote that. Is that book, still available? God, so that was a huge creative thing. Okay, and then I would say, say the name of the book again. Oh yeah, Amazon.com. My fluorescent god, Joe Guppy. It's my it's fluorescent god. Yeah. And it's a uh, memoir Great. about the Great. rough time. Uh, but now you um, you left that profession and yeah. you now no longer do that, at least not full time. I, I, I don't do it at, at all. Uh, uh, in fact, my license has lapsed. Uh, but I'm doing a, another version of it kind of, which is um, a lot of individual coaching, right? I call myself a writing coach and a consultant. So it's kind of a hybrid between, you know, working with people in a, quote, private practice, but my private practice is coaching writing. Uh, and, and a lot of it is uh, comedy writing. In fact, I'm running a comedy writing class. I wouldn't mind right taking now, that which, uh, is uh, online. Uh, I'll sign up. 
Well, yeah, Pat, it would be, it would be, be amazing. Hey, before we leave, I, I, you, yeah, you mentioned not necessarily the news, and I remember yeah. one bit you did on there that I, you know, every once in a while you see a bit that somebody else doesn't say, damn it, damn it, I wish I'd thought mm. of that. That's damn it. Mm. And and you did <laughs> one of those that I would have stolen if I hadn't mm. thought I could get away with it. And you were, I think you were a weather guy. Mm. You were doing the weather. And, and so you're, there's a blue screen behind you, green screen. And, you know, every time you look to the screen, Mm -hmm. there's the weather information. And then, but every time you look away towards the camera, there's some wise ass thing that's, that's on the screen, but you timed it so that you never Mm -hmm. see, it's like a kick me sign on your back, uh, but you never quite, every time you turn back, it looks normal again. And I thought, man, that is so well coordinated and done such a great idea i loved it thank you pat and uh and this really tells us what comedy is all about because i did not write that bit um that was written by a couple of uh, oh, a couple of oh other you writers, didn't write the uh, bit peter Ocko and oh my god dang you know i hated that uh, bit it sucked i did not write the bit I, uh, you've given me license to say what i really think i thought it was just really a piss poor uh television effort and and god i'm sorry you had to be involved with it on camera Love you, Joe. Uh, uh, Thank you for this time. (laughs) Nice. Thank thank you so much, Joe. Love you, Pat Gashman. See ya. You bet. Once again, let's see what's happening at the Marcos bedside. Let's go live to Joe Guppy in Honolulu. Joe, what's going on there? Well, um, Marcos is still near death. Is there any chance we'll have that death before we sign off tonight? I'm afraid not, Annabelle. However, we've received word that the Ayatollah Khomeini is back in the hospital. I'm on my way to Iran. I'll have that report for you next week. The Almost Live, Still Alive podcast. Produced and edited by Morris Patrick Cashman. Technical director is Dave Tavers. Special gratitude to the legendary Kenneth George Buford McCaw, Almost Live's chief archivist. And thanks also to King TV Seattle. This program was made possible in part by the 12th century nun and mystic Hildegard von Bingen, inventor of spoken language. And by Emil Berliner, creator of the microphone. And I'm your announcer, that kid from Sluggy, Chris Cashman. <laughs> <laughs>